This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our friends over at Scentlock. I'm excited. It is finally cold. It's finally snowing and getting the nasty weather, so that means I get to pull out all my favorite Scentlock pieces. Guys, I would highly encourage you to check them out if you have not. Uh, in my opinion, as far as whitetail hunting goes, it's the best you can buy. Uh, their activated carbon technology for maximum odor absorption, I believe, really plays a difference. So I would highly encourage you to go check out our friends over at Scentlock. I've got a special guest on the phone, somebody who's not a stranger to the show and definitely not a stranger to bear archery, Mr. Brian Burkhart. Brian, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Dylan. Thanks for having me. It's the middle of hunting season. How could you not be doing great? Yeah, I know. I actually, I'm in my uh, vehicle right now. I just got out of the woods. So I'm down in Southeast Ohio, uh, hunting whitetail right now. Now, how cold is it there? It was, uh, 27 this morning and there was just a little dusting of snow on the ground. So it was, it was really nice, but it's warmed up to, I think, uh, 39. So it all melted. Yeah. But we're having some now, pretty good weather. Um, this national cold front, um, which I was, I was watching a thing in, in several places, you know, this, this winter are expecting like record breaking lows. Uh, I know in my area, they're saying last year we had a brutal winter, especially for my area, it got like negative 20. Um, and they're saying, Hey, this winter is going to be worse. So buckle up. Um, so a national low, <laughs> it's like, man, anywhere you want to hunt, just, just pick, you know, a lot of times you, you play it as like, oh, well, you know, Ohio's catching a low this week and it'll be in Iowa next week. So it kind of helps you play your schedule. Uh, but with national lows and as somebody who hunts different states, how do you decide where you're going to hunt now? Well, I, uh, let's see for whitetail hunting. I've, I've got a lease in Southeast Ohio, so that's where I'm at right now, but I had the opportunity to hunt Illinois earlier, uh, this season. And then also i hunted Iowa. 
And so uh, I'm just making the progression. I, I hunted Illinois first, then Iowa. And now I'm down in Southeast Ohio. Now, where'd you kill that giant at? That was Iowa. And I killed him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, he's a nice deer. And I, uh, I was passing up, you know, some really good deer that I would have shot on my lease in Ohio in a heartbeat, but I just knew the caliber of deer that there were in Iowa. So I was holding out, but when I saw it, when I saw him come in, I'm like, Oh, if I get a crack at him, I'm going to, I'm going to have to, you know, really yeah. You certainly don't, you certainly don't pass up a deer like that. You're the kind of guy that doesn't have many friends. Are you like, well, you know, I, I do a thing. Uh, I try to video with my phone deer that I pass up and I call them haw passes. So it's gotta be a deer within 20 yards that I've got a legitimate shot opportunity at not, not one behind me that I can't shoot, but one that's a legitimate uh, shot opportunity. And I think last year I ended up, you know, having 75 hall passes and I'm, I think I'm around 40 this year. So I guess I don't have any friends. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, we have some good fun with it. But when you, when you watch guys, when, when I watch videos like that of guys like yourself, it's like, listen, I wouldn't have passed that deer up anywhere. <laughs> and, yeah, then, I could. and then they keep rolling in. You're like, no, nah, I wouldn't have passed that one up either. Nope, not that one either. Nope, not that one either. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what makes it fun, you know. And it's, you know, like last year, I, I had 75 hall passes. And my daughter finally sent me a text and said, just shoot something. I want some meat. And so I ended up shooting a doe. I think it was January 15th. I shot a shot a doe just for some meat. So sometimes it doesn't work out and you and you kind of look back and say, man, I wish and you look back at the videos and you're like, man, maybe I should have taken that one. But you know, I like having the season, you know, extended too by passing up, you know, pretty nice spots. Yeah. I um <laughs> does it and maybe it's just because I'm brand new to the to the traditional side of things but for me that changes the caliber of deer i'm willing to shoot um you know there were deer last year perfect examples i had deer come in and i would have my compound and i just thought no not with my compound uh however if i had my recurve i would shoot you in a second um <laughs> which doesn't really make sense i mean you would think if you want to kill it you want to kill it no no matter what weapon it is um so why do you think there's that that disconnect between um, different weapons and, and what I'll shoot. And, and I don't think it's the same for you because you've always been traditional, but for those guys who make that change, why is there that, that line of, of, well, if I had my compound, I would shoot it. Or if I had my, my recurve, I would shoot it. Um, I think I know why, uh, but why do you think guys kind of, kind of change that standard? I guess my, my perspective is it's all about the challenge. And so, you know, it, it's, you know, getting a deer in close with a recurve in stick bow close is quite a bit more challenging. And when, when you do have a deer get into that range, you want to take advantage of that opportunity. So I, I guess my perspective is it's just about the challenge. And so yeah. you, know, you can reach out further with a compound. And so, you know, you can have more opportunities in that regard, but, you know, like you said, I've always hunted with traditional and, and now, you know, I, I give out hall passes to make it more challenging, trying to get just a bigger, a bigger buck. Well, I don't think guys fully understand 
the difference in, you know, 28 yards and 18 yards. Like, yeah, so like that, you know, um, and, and we're going to get into my traditional season because I need some advice, but, um, guys just they, they can't they don't they don't understand that difference they're like he was at 28 yards you didn't shoot him uh or or even the difference in a, a, a window that you have to shoot through um right. you know I, i'm willing to shoot through much tighter windows in the brush with my compound just because you can really thread that needle a lot better um but you know there's been situations where i'm like yeah i had him at 13 yards um i, I just couldn't squeeze a shot through there and you know with a compound that becomes a lot different uh, and people just don't really can't really wrap their mind around those two differences in in that short amount of distance. Sure, we can shoot targets at twenty eight with our recurves, but there's a there's a lot that can happen in twenty eight yards with a recurve on a whitetail. Um, oh, absolutely! And that makes it difficult. And so, I think that's where that line just kind of gets drawn um, for me, at least. But um, well, Dylan, to your point, the, um, you know, talking about the 28 yards versus 18, I would say it gets exponentially harder to kill that deer because, you know, you've got to draw your bow. It's not like you got a compound and you, you draw it back and hold it and, and let the deer come in. I mean, you've got to draw that bow when that deer, you know, gets in that shooting lane. And uh, so with him being at, you know, 18 yards or 15 yards, his ability to spot movement goes up dramatically. So, oh, absolutely. It, again, it just adds to the challenge of it. And that's why I think it's so fun. Now, just so I don't know if I've talked to you since I took my recurve to Idaho and I uh, ended up shooting a bear, hit him a bit oh, high, nice. never found him. Um, just a, a really rough, you know, I, I think that bear is probably dead. Um, yeah. just based off of where I hit him and, uh, got a complete pass through. And I, I know it was a bit high and I, I admit that it was a bit high the moment that I shot it. Um, and then I shot a nice, a decent whitetail with my recurve, but I missed completely. And mm -hmm. at that point, you know, I looked back at my season and I thought, God, if I just have my compound, then I would have a bear from Idaho on the ground and I would have a nice white tail here in Kansas on the ground. Um, what's your advice for that person? Not just, not just with a recurve, but that person who's had a rough season altogether. Uh, you know, maybe it's with a compound, maybe it's with a recurve, but that person who, uh, or maybe even a rifle, they've just had a rough go and they're just ready to, to give up. Um, or, or ready to switch weapons. You know, if it's with a compound, a lot of guys just say, I'm going to get my rifle. This is stupid. Um, and if it's with a recurve, a lot of guys say, I'm just going to go get my compound because both of those shots were chip shots with a compound. Um, what's your advice for that person? How do you keep them hanging in there? Well, I, I guess, you know, to me, it's about the, the reward when it does all come together. And so, you know, for somebody that's struggling, you know, if they have the perseverance to just stick with it and, you know, and try to learn from, you know, from the mistakes, like, you know, if you, if you totally miss the deer, chances are you probably didn't pick a spot. You know, I, I don't know the, the exact situation, but I know when I miss, I, I can always go back and say, you know what, doggone, I, I was looking at the old deer, I didn't pick a spot. So I would just say, try to learn from, you know, from, your experiences and your mistakes 
but stick with it. And when it all comes together, that's when it's pure joy and pure celebration. So I can tell you exactly what happened. Um, And I know exactly where the mess up was. Uh, A deer came in quick. Uh, And and again, it was a, it was a pretty decent whitetail came in quick and there's a big difference in coming to full draw with your compound and then stopping a deer. Um, And then with a recurve. And so I get to full draw and I have to stop this deer who's, who's moving at a brisk pace, pretty good, good, pretty good pace. You have to stop that deer. And then I just completely rushed my shot process. I just, you know, once you make that noise to stop him, um, whatever it may be, whatever noise you make, once you make that noise, you get that feeling of a crap. I got to shoot real quick. And with a compound, that's easy. You just shoot. Um, (laughs) but when you start working through that shot process with a recurve and that, that, man, I just rushed it and I shot way too quick. And, uh, you know, I didn't pull through my shot. Well, I just didn't, I, I didn't walk through the normal, the normal process of my shot, uh, because I was so worried about getting that shot off quickly yeah. and I just shot right over his back. Um, and so, yeah, now, now it's, now it turns to practicing in your backyard of stopping an animal and making a shot process. Um, my but best advice, at, at least you kn- you know uh, what took place and what, you know, what happened. Right. There's a lot of guys that, you know, don't even understand what happened and why they missed. And so at least you've got the benefit of understanding you didn't go through your entire shot process. So right. I, um, I typically uh, do not stop deer. Now, if, if one's coming in really fast, then you've got to stop them. But like, I love shooting deer just on a, a regular walk with a very consistent cadence uh, because I can just, you know, pick a spot, pick an opening in front of the deer and let them walk, you know, into it and almost shoot them like you would a compound, just hold it back and, and then, you know, shoot them as soon as he gets in that, in that uh, shooting lane. So I, I, you know, because they tend to be so close with a recurve, I tend not to want to make any noise and, and put them on alert. So I, I don't stop. Right. Um, you're familiar with Harv Ebers, correct? Yeah. So, so Harv is the one that taught me how to shoot a recurve. Right. And, you know, he told me, he said, every time you shoot, whether that deer's at three yards or whether that deer's at 30 yards, whether you're shooting a target in the backyard or whether you're shooting at a new caribou, uh, a new world record caribou, um, no matter what you're shooting or where you're shooting, you've got to have a shot process. You've got to have verbal cues or, uh, you know, words that you say in your head as far as steps go um so grip hook um anchor pull you know whatever that 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 process is for you and as soon as i shot and i do really good at that usually even when i shot that bear i did really good because um that bear wasn't rushed at all he was he he came in slow he came in easy um you know he was rubbing his back on i had ample amount of time to shoot this this bear However, as soon as I shot that bear, I thought, dude, I didn't walk through one step. I just pulled back and shot. Yeah. Uh, I never thought about one piece of my shot process. Now, muscle memory carried me a lot of way through it. You know, um, you, you still shot the same, uh, but but there wasn't the normal progression that I had. Now, uh, I'll tell you what I did, and I'll tell you what everybody should do when you get in that just crap. I'm ready to give up. Shoot whatever you see. Uh, just get <laughs> something on the ground. Yeah, that's that's good advice too. 
just find that like you know that sense of okay i can do this um even if it's with a rifle i i don't care if it's with a compound um just shoot whatever you see the first doe that walks in the first it's i i don't care um just start building back that confidence of okay this can happen uh i can do this this will all be okay um i don't care if it's squirrels in your backyard i i, I don't care if it's it's rabbits in your back. Just find something to tell yourself, okay, I can do this. I can make this happen. Um, that's what I did. And now, you know, I'm, I'm back essentially, uh, because you go into the season, you've practiced all year long. You're confident. You think, man, dude, I'm shooting really good. Um, I, this is going to be a blast. Well, th- then you have a couple incidents under your belt. You've got a couple mess ups under your belt. And then you think, dude, I just need to grab the rifle. Or I just need to grab the compound or the crossbow. I just need to move up to where I know this will be easier. Yeah. No, hang in there. Um, but find somebody, find something to shoot, uh, find something uh, to just start building that confidence back and, uh, and you'll get back there. I promise. Well, yeah, I think that's great advice. I mean, there's nothing like, you know, having a lot of experience and, you know, and confidence is certainly the key, you know, if I, I used to, or I have a cousin and we, when he started hunting and a deer was coming in, he would think of the hundred things that could go wrong and sure did, you know, and you've got to go into that predator mode where you see that deer coming in and you're just focused on the spot you're going to shoot and, and have confidence. You're going to make the shot. So I totally agree with you being confident and having that confidence is really important. Yeah. And, and you know, There's a huge difference. Uh, this is for all you social media gurus. There's a huge difference in being cocky and being confident. Um, I, I can't stand cocky hunters of, oh, dude, if I see it, it's dead. Like, yeah. if it gets within 100 yards, I'll kill it. Like, meh, there's, there is things that can go wrong. But the guy that 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 knows, man, if that deer gives me the opportunity, I'm going to do everything in my power to make the most of that opportunity. And, you know, most of the time deer don't leave that situation. Um, there's a difference in being confident and being cocky. Um, because that moment you start thinking, man, there's nothing that can go wrong. Like I'm the best hunter there is. I'm the best shot there is. Like I haven't missed in 12 years. That's usually the moment you get humbled. Uh, that's usually the moment, you know, things start to go wrong. And I, I do think part of that cockiness played into my mistake, um, because I had told my wife, you know, for the weeks leading up to, to my first hunt, um, man, I'm shooting really good. Like I can't miss, like I, you throw a tennis ball, you throw a tennis ball at 50 yards. I'll hit like, you know, just being super co- cocky, um, yeah. not confident in my equipment, not confident in my abilities, uh, but cocky by the way that I was shooting and, and, uh, I got humbled. <laughs> I got humbled yeah. quick. Well, it happens. It's, it happens to everyone. But uh, at least you're learning from it. I think that's the key. Yeah. So what is your, I'm anxious to know, what is your inspiration? Like what drives you? Uh, was it a specific person you watched growing up? Um, uh, what, what keeps you, what keeps you in the game? Well, I, I would say it was, it was two people specifically, you know, my, my hero childhood hero was Fred bear and, you know, we would go to the Grayling Museum when it was there, and every once in a while he would be there, and you know, just seeing what he accomplished with 
with the bow and arrow and then seeing his movies and all that, that, that was my childhood hero. My mentor was my dad. So my dad shot his first deer with a recurve in 1961 and came home and sold 32 guns and just, you know, exclusively, you know, after that. So, you know, I was fortunate to have, you know, my dad as my mentor and, you know, he shot, he shot bear recurves his entire life, you know, up until the later years. And, um, so he was, he was just, you know, my mentor and somebody who I looked up to and, and somebody that I learned a lot from. Now, being that, that you have just stayed true to who you are, um, you know, you've been traditional from the beginning. There was no like going back. And I heard somebody say, quit calling it traditional archery. It's just archery. This is, this is archery. What you guys do is new archery, not, you know, um, this isn't traditional. This is anyways, uh, being somebody who's, who's stuck to their guns. Has that, has that process, has that thought process ever came to mind? Like, you know, this would be a lot easier if I just got a compound, like this would be a lot easier if I switched, um, what keeps you what keeps you on traditional why stay that way well again it, for me like uh, all my brothers they when we were growing up i've got four brothers they all shot you know recurves and longbows and then they've all kind of migrated to compounds um and they'll still shoot a stick bow but for the most part i would say 90% of the time they're hunting with a compound for me it gets back to that challenge i just yeah. you know it it's it's one where when it all comes together you just can't beat it and sure there's been deer that you know nice bucks that i've had to let walk and if i would have had a compound i would have been able to uh you know to take them um but you've got to be willing to do that but for me everything i do i like it to be a challenge because when it all comes together the reward is just that much sweeter so that that challenge and and making things you know having a sense of accomplishment that you accomplish something that's pretty difficult is really the internal drive for me right speaking of being traditional only um i can say this kind of with confidence i don't know for sure but i'm 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 sure they're a mutual friend uh but our guys over at three rivers archery uh, who cover all things traditional guys. I would highly encourage you. If you are a traditional archer and, or trying to make the switch to traditional archery, three rivers is a phenomenal place to go. They have phenomenal resources. They also are full of information. Uh, I call them all of the time, uh, just to pick their brains on arrow length or, or tuning or, uh, whatever it is that I might have questions on. Uh, they know the equipment because they use the equipment. They're, the largest in-stock selection of traditional archery equipment in the United States with shame with same day shipping on a lot of things. I would highly encourage you to check out three rivers archery. I know they've got some sales coming up for, for black Friday and Christmas. So head over to three rivers, for all things traditional. Um, now what is your, and, and this is such a hard question and I don't even like asking it almost, um, what's that top trophy for you? Like that one that just stands out in your mind and means the most. Well, for me, that's pretty easy. It's just, um, my favorite animal to hunt 
is Alaskan moose. And um, I've, I've gone every year since 2008, and I've told my pilot to book me through 2030. So I just love hunting Alaska moose. And so, you know, I don't know if I have a, a favorite moose. I've killed seven now. Um, but I would say the the one in 2016, that moose, I, I uh, stalked it over a mile and then used a fake antler to to walk in stole or took his cow away and he was he was really upset and he tried twice and uh fortunately i was able to uh to kill him but that that was a pretty exciting experience and i honestly thought i was a dead man because i didn't there where i was at it was all brush i didn't have any trees to get behind or anything and oh wow he was not a happy camper so wow um Going back to the inspiration types of things, do you ever think about those exhilarating moments and that helps you get through the crappy moments? Yeah, I think for sure, because it's, um, you know, you, I, I tend to be a pretty positive person, um, just, just my nature, but I think you've got to, you know, having those experiences that you just want more of, you know, they drive right. you, that's why you're doing it. And when you have those, those adventures and those experiences that give you that kind of thrill, you just want more, you know? Yeah. So I think is, I think as bow hunters, one of the biggest challenges is having short-term memory loss. (laughs) Um, You know, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, he said, you have to have short-term memory loss. You have to forget about the times you messed up. You have to forget about, blowing a stalk or missing a shot or you've got to put those things in the past. Now hold on to the memories of when it all came together. Hold on to the memories that are that are joyous and that are, you know, you're excited and you're over the moon and you're um you're celebrate, you know, hold on to those moments. But those moments where you fail and those moments that that get you down, you've got to have short-term memory loss in those types of in those moments. Um and just forget them. Move on. Um you know, kind of, kind of what I said, you go back to, um, just kill anything to get your confidence back and, and forget about the times that you messed up. Yeah. You don't want, you know, those experiences to haunt you, but you know, at the same time, I, I would say I, I actually enjoy it sometimes when the animal wins, you know, if, if I, if I'm stalking in on a moose and the moose, you know, picks me off or, or, you know, it, just, I don't get the opportunity. I'm okay with that. You know, so it's one where, you know, I've learned over the years to really respect the animal when say a whitetail, you know, he's, he's coming in and you're going to get a shot. And then all of a sudden he just picks you off or, you know, he spots you up in the tree or, or whatever. So it just gives me more respect for the animal and how cool they really are. Yeah. Um, And that's what, you know, when you think about it, like when you really start to think about what's going on, that animal is fighting for its life. Like that animal is playing a a chess match that if they lose, they're dead. We're playing a chess match where if, if we lose, we go back home, we get to try again tomorrow. Right. You know, they have a, a lot more skin in the game with life being the, 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 the challenging thing to hold on to. Um, you know, and, and 
let's talk, let's all be honest here. None of us hunt only for food. Like if I don't kill anything, my kids are not going to starve to death. We still have meat from last year. We can run to Walmart. We can run to McDonald's. I'll even swing through Taco Bell. Um, you know, we can go to a lot of places to get food. I'm not going to die if I don't kill a deer. Um, and, and I, you know, that's the case for everyone. Uh, it's not, we're not in this for, for life. Now, um, my kids do eat the, the animals, but that deer has a lot more at stake than us. So what's wrong with not letting them win, but what's wrong with being okay with them winning every once in a while? You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And, and they do. I mean, to me, they win most of the time and I, oh, 100%. I so think about how much hunting would suck if you were successful hundred percent of the time. Yeah, it would get, it would get really boring. You know, like, pretty- like, you know, my dad told me that one time when I was a kid, he said, well, son, what would happen if you went out and shot a deer on the first set of the, of the year? And I'd be like, of course I was a kid. So I was like, yes, that'd be awesome, dude. Like forget all this garbage. Um, yeah. but then he's like, okay, well you went out the first evening you shot your deer. Now what do you do for the rest of the year? Um, you know, especially us Midwest hunters, you know, we've got through the end of December, sometimes even end of January, even into February in some States. So you shoot them October 1st, whenever your season opens, now you have all of October, November, December, and January that you don't get to hunt because you're already tagged out. You say, well, yeah, I'll go to a different state. Well, again, if we're successful hundred percent of the time, you know, I hunt, Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas. That means I only get five days to hunt all year long if I'm going to be successful 100 percent of the time. What's the fun in that? Yeah, no, I I'm totally fine with you know with letting the animals win or or when like you said not letting them win but when they do win and uh, so and I and I think that's especially true for bow hunters in general. You know, you just yeah. Just make it more challenging, and the more challenging it is, uh, the animals are going to win more times than not. But again, when it all comes together, it's pretty special. I do think too. I think it it gives you respect for the animal as well. Um, you know, sometimes people think the non hunting community looks at us as hunters, and they think we despise these animals, and they think that uh, you know we're big bad wolf going in to kill the animals. I have more respect for that animal than they could ever imagine having. Um, I know more about that animal and I care more about that animal and I love that animal more than they could ever imagine. Um, and I think again, if they never won, then we would just be murderers. We would just be bloodthirsty guys going in to kill animals. But when they do win, when they do outsmart us, which again, more times than not, they're playing checkers on playing chess. Um, you know, the more times than not they 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 outsmart us and they beat us, that's what gives us the respect for those animals. That's what gives us the the admiration for those animals. Um, and you know sometimes we just need to sit back and applaud them because they beat us. Yeah, I know. I I've had that thought. You know, when a when a animals beat me, I'm I'm like, you know what, <laughs> you you just deserve or you just earned my respect because. You know, because you think you've got it in the bag, it's all coming together and then it blows up and you're like, wow. Right. The animal is able to do that. Now, what is, uh, what's, what's next for you? What, what do you got for the rest of the season? Well, uh, let's see. I, I went on a bear hunt in Alaska and I'll tell you, that was, um, 
I, I was climbing up, I was hunting by a salmon stream and I was climbing up a bank as about six foot in the air and I pulled on a root and it broke loose and I fell backwards and oh, no. fell on jagged rocks and actually snapped my uh, shoulder blade in two. And, oh my gosh. How are you even shooting a bow? Well, I, I couldn't. I couldn't even hold up my bow after it happened. And um, so that kind of ended the bear hunt. But oh. uh, that, that was in August. And then I went, I got back from Alaska, went to the orthopedic surgeon. They did a, you know, CAT scan or, yeah, I think CT scan and, and an X-ray and confirmed it was snapped in two. And I said, well, here's the problem. I'm leaving September 6th for a month moose hunt in Alaska and I need to be able to shoot a bow. And he said, all right, you're going to be there a month. He said, I think you might be able to pull a bow um, by the end of the hunt, which was encouraging because I thought he was going to tell me you're not going to Alaska. Uh, but then I, I actually got into camp and I took my bow on the first day. And it was a, it was a bear, uh, a handled mag riser when the Fred bear camel and I, I put 50 pound limbs on it. So it was actually, uh, 52 pounds cause it's an a handle and I pulled it back really slow and I was able to get it to full draw without any pain. And so, I mean, your shoulders, your shoulder blade has so many muscles around it that they don't, they didn't do any surgery or anything. It's just said it just needs time and it will kind of come back together. And, uh, so I pull it back the first day and I'm like, Oh, if I have a big moose in front of me, this is not going to be a problem because <laughs> I'll have adrenaline and all that. And, uh, so yeah, I, in two weeks, I was actually able to pull back, uh, 50. Wow. Bow and kill the moose on uh, day 15. So it was pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, yeah. So I did the moose. Then I went to Illinois. I got an uh, invitation from a Compton traditional bow hunting member. Um, he, he said, Hey, the Compton board does a lot of work. And so he, he said, I'd like to donate a hunt for the board members. So we all put our name in the hat and get, my name got drawn. So, I mean, he, oh, the rest of the board hates you. Oh yeah. I mean, they're out, they're all like, Oh, this is rigged, you know, cause I'm the president. Compton, but, uh, but anyway, Rigged for sure. I, yeah. I went to his property. It was 1600 acres. I think he's got 150 tree stands, just whitetail heaven. I mean, and I was, I was passing up. I mean, I went into his house and I'm just seeing, you know, multiple deer 180 or better, you know, it's just wow, incredible what he's got there. The, the properties he's managed. And, um, so I'm passing up one thirties, maybe even a, a couple one forties and uh deer. I would have shot on my Ohio lease in a heartbeat, just holding out for a, a monster, but uh, it didn't happen. The weather kind of got warm and uh, the activity slowed down a little bit towards the end. And then I went to Iowa and um, yeah, I killed that whitetail on, on day two. And that was a pretty cool story. I was, uh, it was 240, 2:45 when I saw him coming behind me and he was coming in, about 50 yards behind me and he walked totally behind me and passed me and he was getting ready to walk out of my life. And I grunted pretty loud and got his attention. He stopped. And then I snort wheezed and 
he pivoted and came just charging in and I shot him at about 15 yards. So that, that was pretty cool experience. And, um, and like, like I said, now I'm in Southeast Ohio on my lease down here hunting and they, I guess, um, I I'm seeing some bucks, but not nearly as many as I have in prior years. We don't, uh, I'm hunting big timber, so it's pretty acorn dependent and we we don't have any acorns on the lease this year. So that I think that's one of one of the factors that's having an impact. And they've told me that Southeast Ohio was hit with EHD. Um, and I haven't seen any dead deer. So I, you know, I haven't seen that on my lease, but that could be a factor as well. So. Right. I've seen some good sign. Um, so it's, um, uh, it's one where I'm just got to put in the time and do the, do the grind and, and hopefully something good. Yeah. Happens. And I normally um, go to Quebec in November, but uh, I'm not going this year. I'm going going next year. So pretty much it's gotcha. going to be Ohio whitetails and then Michigan whitetails if I tag out in Ohio. Very cool. Uh, before we move on, I got to give a shout out to my friend Nick Deeker at Nick's Knife Works. I'm a massive fan of knives. I'm a massive fan of a good hand forged knife. Um, and the, the best part about Nick is that if you call him and you tell him what you're looking for, he'll build that knife, that knife exactly for you. Um, so whether you're looking for a lightweight backcountry knife to put on your binocular harness, an everyday carry pocket knife, um, whatever it might be, he will build that knife for you. Um, and there's something to be said about having a good quality hand forged knife in your backpack that you know when I pull this out, it's going to be sharp. It's going to be ready. It's going to be good to go. Um, so I would highly encourage you to check out Nick's Knife Works. Um, he's got a website where you can buy some knives online. You can check him out on social media at Nick's Knife Works. But he makes some inc- some incredible hand-forged knives right here in Kansas. So go check him out. Um, Brian, what is your your number one tip um, for for that hunter who's having a bad season? What's your number one tip for that honor to start changing that season and turning it around? Um, you know, Fred Bear is big on his field notes, and these are the types of things that I note in my mind uh, of how do I turn my season around? How did I turn my season around? Uh, so what's your number one tip for that person who's just kind of having a rough go at it for the year um, and, that you know, they're ready to quit and give up? Well, the, the best hunters I know and the ones that have the most success are the ones that spend the most time in the woods. And so time in the woods will typically end up equating to more opportunities. So I, you know, I would just say, you know, be stubborn, you know, persevere, you know, and, and spend a lot of time in the woods and, and good things will happen. Who is the best hunter, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's in my, you know, I was telling you, my dad was my mentor and he doesn't have the biggest bucks on the wall and all that. But to me, in terms of his woodsmanship and his ability to read deer sign and all that, I mean, he was somebody that I really looked up to. Um, you know, you, you've got guys like, uh, Chris Perino that consistently gets it. Golly. He doesn't have any friends either. (laughs) And, you know, it's, you know, I've got a, you know, Jim Echo, you've met Jim, you know, he's consistently get it, gets it done. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys that consistently get it done, but you know, those, 
those are, you know, a couple of guys in my mind that, you know, if, if you were going to put money on them, getting a deer, you know, you're in, you're out. Those are a couple of guys I would put money on. Do you know, uh, do you know Frank Noska? Yes. Yeah. That, that guy is the same I, way. Yeah. I know. I know Frank from Pope and young. I don't really know him that well, but I think he's the president of Alaska bow hunters association too, but. Well, I yeah. know he's only a couple animals away from completing the super slam for the third time. Yeah. Yeah. Just he, insane. And he just killed a, a huge uh, whitetail too. In Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. Now it? I get asked that question a lot um, of like what makes a good hunter um, or, or, or somebody kills a new world record or a crazy big deer. And you're like, somebody's like, man, that guy is a good hunter. When I think of good hunters, I'm much like yourself. I'm looking at people who are consistently putting down mature animals. I don't care if one guy stumbled upon a giant buck one time and shot it. That that doesn't mean you're a good hunter at all. That doesn't mean you're a good woodsman at all. But when you watch people, per, a perfect example is Chris Perino. When you watch people who are constantly putting down just quality animals, you know, mature animals for whatever species they're hunting. You're like, dude, that guy's got it all together. He's a good hunter. He didn't stumble upon a new world record one time. He didn't stumble upon a 200 inch one time. Um, but he consistently is putting down good quality, mature animals for whatever species he might be hunting. And that's to me, the guy that who's never hunted elk and can go in and find elk and kill one just because they're good woodsmen. That's what makes a good hunter. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I think you bring up a good point. Somebody that goes on a bear hunt and, and gets a bear, somebody goes to Kodiak and gets a black tailed deer, somebody that, you know, goes to Kansas and gets a white tail. It, it doesn't matter what they're hunting, they figure out how to get it done. And yeah, those are the people that, to me, I, you know, spending a lot of time in the woods, you, you get experience and, and you learn things over the years and you, those people consistently can put all that information together regardless of the species and typically make it happen. Right. And you know, because no matter where you're hunting, I don't care if you're going on a moose hunt, you've never even seen a moose in your life, no matter where you're hunting over the years, you've acquired this set of woodsman skills and, and you've acquired learning about animals. And there are certain things that apply to every animal. Every animal in the world needs food, water, and shelter. Um, now, and this time of year or earlier for, for elk, every animal wants to mate. Um, so there's certain things about a, a, an, an animal, it doesn't matter what species it is, that hold true. And those guys, like you said, who can walk into a, you know a moose hunt, and they've never even seen a moose in their life. But they can apply what they know about animals. They can apply what they know about the woods. They can apply what they know about the mountains and food sources and find a moose and kill it. That's a good hunter. Um, you know, I'm not saying they have to be perfect or even adequate at making the calls, at calling in animals, because that does change. I mean, there's a huge difference in calling a moose and calling a whitetail. You make a lot of different noises um, at a lot of different times of the year. So that's not even what, in my opinion, makes a good a good hunter. My opinion and what makes a good hunter 
is somebody who knows how to apply the woodsman skills they've learned over the years and consistently gets it done on big mature animals. Yeah, I agree. Um, how does somebody become a better hunter? Uh, you know, again, I'm not, and by the definition we just applied, I'm not talking about just kill bigger animals. I'm not talking about just, just kill more animals, but how does somebody in your opinion become a better woodsman, a better all around hunter? Well, I think it, I keep saying this, so it's a little redundant, but I think time in the field is just really important because you get to you get to observe animals, you get to see sign, and and you start recognizing patterns. And so, you know, I think that's that's probably the best thing you can do is just spend a ton of times in the woods. The other thing I would do is if is you know if you know a good hunter spend a lot of time with that person and ask them a lot of questions spend if you can spend some time with that person in the field so they can help you uh point things out and actually help educate you um in terms yeah. of they've learned over the years so you know if you've got that opportunity i'd definitely do that but if you don't then i would just spend a lot of time in the field pick the brain of anybody you can find i drive Jim Willems nuts because I'm <laughs> yeah. calling him all the time. Jim, where I'll send him a picture of a screenshot, dude. How would you hunt this funnel? Um, where, you know, all these different things. How would you, you know, how do you, how do you do this? How do you do that? Where would you set up here? Would you set up a ground blind or a tree stand morning or evening sets? You know, all, all of these things. Uh, and I'm picking his brain and I'm, I'm asking him everything I can about, you know, equipment or, uh, properties to hunt. Um, you know, I'm just trying to soak in as much as I can, uh, and ask him everything I can. Now, uh, let me note this. You just said, try to spend time in the field with him. There's no better opportunity than right now. Pope and young is doing a raffle and they're going to send you on a hunt at Liberty ranch, which is one of my favorite places in the world to hunt 7,000 acre deer paradise in Oklahoma. They're going to send you on a, on a hunt with Liberty ranch with Chuck Adams. Um, there's no better person in the world to spend some time in the woods with than Chuck Adams. Um, so head over to Pope and Young's uh, website, pope-young.org, and you can get entered to win that raffle with bow hunting legend himself, Mr. Chuck Adams. Um, Brian, before we go, I want you to to give me the, the elevator speech for Compton bow hunters. Why should they join? Why is it important? What do you do? Yeah, so I'd say Compton Traditional Bow Hunters is the only national um, traditional organization, and I'd say you know it's it's got a lot of hardcore bow hunters you know as members, but I would say the main focus is on you know the youth and getting the next generation involved with traditional archery. So we have you know we have a great youth program. We donate thousands of you know bows and arrows to kids and. Um, Right now, we're actually doing a, a Christmas youth bow giveaway. So there's four uh, bow packages that that uh, are being are going to be drawn right around Thanksgiving time, so that they can be under the tree for Christmas. That's but, cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's one where yeah we do we we've got a rendezvous in the in the summer that brings thousands of people in. That's a shoot. And then we got a big game classic. We're going to actually host it in Grand Rapids, Mich uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, March 17th and 18th next year. Um, 
And we've got an archives program where, you know, we measure animals and we've got a traditional uh, archives book that's um, the second edition of it's coming out uh, next year. But again, I'd say, you know, if you're passionate about traditional archery, then you really need to belong to Compton because it is truly the only national organization. And we also have a, what we call a traditional hunt committee, committee, and they're focused on creating additional opportunities and protecting the traditional hunting uh, opportunities we currently enjoy. Very cool, guys. If you are a traditional archer, um, actually, let me take that back. If you're an archer, think you should belong to Compton Um, because here's what happens is we separate ourselves and we say, I'm not a traditional archer. I don't need to belong to that. Um, but when someone attacks our rights as a bow hunter, it doesn't matter what you shoot, why you shoot it or how you shoot it. We need to join forces and stand as one strong front. Um, so I would highly encourage you to join Compton. Um, I'm a member, um, and I would encourage you to join as well. Um, before we go, I got to give a shout out to minus 33 Merino wool. I'm a big fan of Merino. Um, I wear it in the West. I wear it in the Midwest. I wear it on whitetails, elks. I, I wear Merino every single day. I haven't worn a non-pair Merino wool socks in like seven years. Um, I'm a big fan of Merino. I found minus 33. There was a big sell on backcountry.com. And so I ordered some of it, not knowing what it was or how good it was, but it was on an incredible sell. And I fell in love with it. It's some of the highest quality Merino I've ever found. They source for a lot of big companies to make the Merino for a lot of other companies that you might be wearing. Um, So in my opinion, just go to the source and get the best Merino you can get. That's minus 33 Merino wool. Um, Brian, thank you so much for coming on, man. Um, I wish you the best of luck and I can't wait to see how many more big deer you quit posting the hall passes up. Then it just like breaks my heart, you know? I'm like, man, why would I, I would never pass that up. You know, I've, I've, I've toyed around with the idea of, you know, not doing that, but then people will say, Hey, I'm really enjoying seeing the hall passes. So it's, uh, you know, I'm just having fun with They're it. lying to you. They are. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of bow are you shooting right now? Uh, the Kodiak Hunter. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I've, I'm doing, uh, I like to mix bows up. So I, I had the B mag riser on the bear hunt in Alaska. Then I had, I, uh, I shot the moose with the, uh, with a riser mag riser. And right now I'm shooting the launch edition bow. And, uh, and I shot the, uh, I shot the buck in Iowa with a, um, with a limited edition series, you know, bear takedown. So that's cool. I will soon be switching to the Fred Eichler signature series. Yeah, uh, the new takedown for this year. Have you seen that yet? Uh, not in person. <clears throat> I should have I one December, hopefully. Okay, cool. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, just in the pictures, but I'd like to get my hands on one too. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. Um, but I had a guy reach out, and you know, he was asking me about recurves, asking me about what he should shoot and why, and and he's a much taller gentleman. I think he said he's six four. Um, and so I told him, in my opinion, the best bow that I've ever had hands on. And I said, I haven't shot the new Eichler series. I said, but the best bow I've ever had hands on is a B riser. Um, and so he's going with a B riser with number 
two limbs so he gets a 62 inch bow because he is taller you know yeah. uh, make it a little more comfortable than him. so that's what i told him i said man the best the most comfortable i've ever shot was a b riser and uh and so that's in my opinion at least well it was fred bear's uh, preference that was his personal bow was the b riser so my uh my combination that i like the best is a a riser um with number three limbs but you know so I'm, 60 inch I'm only, yeah i'm only 510 so going up if you're six four he's probably got a lot longer arms too so the b riser yeah with number two or number three limbs make would make sense guys i love those types of questions um i love you know, helping you. Um, so if you have any questions whatsoever on what to shoot, how to shoot it, why to shoot it, um, shoot me an email, the hunting one one podcast at gmail.com. That's one of my favorite things to do um, is just email back and forth and share any information that I can find. So um, shoot me over an email. And if I don't know the answer, I promise you, I can find somebody who does know the answer. Um, just ask Jim Willems. I'll ask him. I'm not afraid to. <laughs> Um, but no guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, guys, it is approaching the end of November, moving into December. And that is my absolute favorite time to hunt when that weather gets disgusting and that weather gets freezing cold and dumping snow, find the food sources. That's where you're going to find the deer. Um, so just like Brian said, if you're, you know, in thick timber, find the acorns. If you're in Kansas, find the, the standing, you know, the, the, the winter wheat find, um, a bean field and here's what one of my buddies does every year uh on the the farm that he leases out he just buys two acres of the beans from the farmer and then says don't cut them uh i want my beans to stay standing so then he has a two acre bean field that stays up all year long and come december that place is just swarmed with deer um but when that weather gets disgusting that weather gets bad find the food sources. You'll find deer. It's one of my favorite times to hunt because deer are super patternable. Um, they will be consistently hitting the food. So, um, enjoy this time, get out there when the weather's the worst. And when you don't want to go, that's when you need to be there. So, um, get out there this December, but as always good luck. And I would love to share in your success. So make sure and send over those success photos, but thanks for listening. You guys have a great week.